0: and this is founder coffee every two weeks i have coffee with a different founder we discuss life passions learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company for this 25th episode i talked to paul Katzen, co-founder of blockspring an automation tool that pulls data from different apis to automate reports lists and landing pages blockspring actually started off as a data visualization tool which pivoted into a serverless platform right after joining Y Combinator and talking to its co-founder Paul Graham. And about a year later, after Amazon had entered this exact space, they had to pivot again. After lots of iterations, they ended up with the Blockspring platform we know today. Finally, a few months ago, Blockspring got acquired by Coinbase. We talk about that, about their stint in the restaurant business while pivoting, how it is to be working for a big company now and why games may be better than reality. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Paul, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee.
1: Hello, how's it going? Thank you. <laughs> it's going
0: well. You're founder of um, Blockspring. Uh, for those who don't know what you guys do yet, what, what do you do?
1: Yeah, so, um, so Blockspring has a a very long story. We actually started in, in 2014. Um, but what we do now is, um, we help, um, marketers, salespeople and recruiters, um, collect to different, connect to different APIs and data services to automate the reporting, um, enrich lists and build, um, lead lists. Um, and finally actually pull data into kind of like landing pages and live websites. Um, so we basically index a bunch of APIs um, and make them easy to use and access for business people.
0: Can can you perhaps because it it kind of sounds all quite abstract? Give a yeah. concrete example of something you could do.
1: Yeah. yeah. So um, so automating reporting. So that's one of the use cases that people use. Um, so essentially, a lot of marketers um, spend a lot of their time um, going into. Uh, you know, Facebook ads, that that whole UI, Google Analytics, Google ads, YouTube ads, et cetera, um, and exporting data all into the same dashboard like every week, every month. Um, and so that's like manual reporting, it takes a bunch of time. Um, so we have a bunch of integrations into all of those different services um, and plugins into tools like Excel, Google Sheets, Tableau, so that person can select a bunch of these different um, data sources click, pull in data, and then that report is automatically kept up to date. Um, So so yeah, how how that works is it uses the same API platform that we developed, um, except it has a plugin interface that works within reporting tools um, versus some of our sales use cases um, use that same platform, but they plug into other tools.
0: So so to repeat what you said, you can uh, basically get information like, for instance, from Facebook ads or YouTube, whatever, you could get it in a Google sheet. That's something I could use Blockspring for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely one very common use case. Another use case, which salespeople and recruiters use is, hey, I want to build a lead list. But a lot of this data comes from um, maybe Clearbit or Hunter.io or Google Maps or all these other new data services that you might not realize are actually good for sales um, or recruiting. Um, and so they might actually want to pull that data into a Google Sheet or some other tool as well. So the common thread across this platform is making it easy to access APIs and data from a business tool. Um, but the use cases range from automating reporting to building lead lists to a bunch of other stuff.
0: Yeah, got it. So it makes it much easier to basically pull data together. Yep you you mentioned that it's it's been a, a long story uh with blockspring over the the last 5 years um
1: what specifically happened yeah so um so when we started out in 2014 um me and my co-founders be, were actually building a data visualization product um which very very different than this um and i feel, i know that like the The phases of this company basically started with data visualization product, um, getting into YC and a bunch of other crazy things that happened that ended up um, pivoting us into being one of the first serverless computing products. Um, Then there was kind of this phase around how we got pummeled by Amazon um, and went through kind of like a large series of pivots to try and find our way. Um, and then finally, we got to a phase where, hey, this is a business that um, isn't what we started with, but it's you know it's a good business, it's making money, we're growing it. Um, and then finally, that led into um, actually taking a lot of the stuff that that product is built and learned, and um, you know having that join Coinbase. So. So yeah, there's there's a bunch of different phases, but we actually started in a very, very different place than what we ended in, um, which I know a lot of founders are going through right now. Um so happy to dig into you know parts of that story where um as it was a pretty big learning experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which which parts of the story were, were especially interesting or challenging or
1: um well so there's there's different challenges at every stage. So and the first part was just like, hey, we fell in love with this data visualization idea. I um, and mean, my co-founders, we like um, how it started actually was I remember going to I was in Chicago and I remember going to YC startup school, uh, which was kind of like a one day conference where you saw all these, you know, super crazy tech people like Mark Andreessen, Jack Dorsey, Balaji Srinivasan, et cetera. And I remember leaving that being like, holy shit, I'm super inspired. I want to go start something. You know what I mean? Um, and I was like, oh, you know, I can do this. Like these people are just normal people. Um, and so j- just so happened that I was having dinner with a good friend of mine in San Francisco that same night. And we kind of just we we both realized data visualization is hard. Um, let's just build a, you know, like an easy app. It might not turn into a business, but something that makes it easier. Um, and so we ended up building something that um, basically is super simple. You upload a CSV like a a spreadsheet and you get an interactive D3 visualization, which is something that we spent hours and hours building ourselves um, for at our older jobs. Um, But we wanted to make it easier. Uh, And so what ended up happening was we got a call from a VP of data at one of the world's biggest publishers. And he was like, Hey, your product sucks. (laughs) Um, But we've been trying to build this for the past six months. Can you fly out to New York, work with us, you know, for a few weeks, And then we'll be your first enterprise customer. Um, And so that was the start of of that product. Um, And actually was like one of the biggest things that I learned from that is one, um, when you build something, (laughs) write good content so that people understand what you're doing, what your mission is, because people can find you through that. Um, And two, if you can get a customer to invite you to like work from your office, uh, work from their office, um, and get super excited about you, even though your product sucks right now. You're you're probably onto something, um, and so that, those few weeks were probably some of the most exciting parts of that of that business. Just like building for a customer, like getting instant feedback, It was really exciting. Um, so yeah, that that was one of the first big big learnings for us, um, just through that product, um, and then that ended up getting us into uh, YC for summer of 2014. Yeah,
0: so so you actually. Build something and and quite quickly had a first customer. How come you didn't go through with with this exact business but pivoted to another one? So this is a that's a
1: really good question. So basically, first week of YC, we're building this product. We have a customer. We have a bunch of other users for it that aren't like enterprise customers but paying for it, kind of like freemium. Um, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And so we go to dinner. Um, the YC dinner, which is like a weekly thing where you get to meet under other founders, you get to listen to speakers. Um, and in this first dinner, um, Paul Graham was there. And this was after he was, you know, he was no longer kind of leading YC. Um, and I, you know, I looked at my co-founder and I was like, hey, let's just go meet him. We like love all his essays. He's super smart. Let's go, you know, tell him about our business. Um, and so he's going through these lines, you know, this line of founders that are pitching them a thing. And he's like giving them feedback, like, you know, 60 seconds and then Um, next person so we told them about we told them about kind of like our business but but the fact that we were seeing this other problem um, which was basically we had built this tool out for ourselves which was basically um, every data visualization that we had needed a little bit of like compute so imagine like a bar chart that needs to do a little bit of like clustering or segmentation. And so we didn't want to send that to EC2 and Amazon every single time we needed to run that compute. And it was really hard to do it in JavaScript on the front end. So we ended up building this tool that basically lets us write code, click publish and get an API. Um, Now that's called, you know, serverless, you know, Amazon has this thing, Google, Microsoft, they all have this. Um, But we kind of told him about it in the pitch. And then he basically full stop went on like a 20 minute, like, monologue around how something like that could change the future of programming. (laughs) Um, And he was like, if you think, if you think that you eventually want to do that, you should go do it today. Um, and, And that was kind of like this thing that I actually do really believe in is like, if you have a startup where you think, you know, 10 steps down the line, you're doing something massive. Like, why aren't you just doing that right away? Like, don't try and be super like, I don't know, like, you know, don't try and be a genius about it. Just like, if it's possible, do it today. Um, and so we kind of came home and had this like freak out moment, which was like, um, you know, let's just go do this. Like, this is such a big idea. We're super pumped about it. And then we just, you know, and then we ended up doing it.
0: Yeah. But, but you 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 didn't like make it big in the serverless space. Other Other people started doing what you have done i suppose
1: yep so so basically what happened was we launched um thousands of developers on it um we launched like right before yc ended um met you know uh, basically one issue is that we didn't know how to sell serverless computing into the enterprise um so we were too early for that because it's such a like programming like paradigm shift um but the other issue is that we were actually too late at the same time, because like we ended up meeting with the Amazon CTO. Um, we thought we were selling to him and like selling this product to Amazon so that they would use it. In reality, I think he was just like, what are these jokers up to? <laughs> Cause they actually launched the exact same thing. Um, you know, three to four months later. Um, and you know, they've been working on it for years, but um, I think we were too late and too early at the exact same time um, because for AWS, like this was the next item on their like like massive you know trajectory towards the future, and we were just like the small startup that was, you know that figured out that this is actually a thing. Um, but for them, they already had different relationships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so, kind of like within a few months of their launch, we realized, hey, we don't really have a future in this. Like, this is a future for all of the major cloud computing platforms. We're not going to be able to compete with them. Um, Amazon ended up doing it, Microsoft, Google, IBM, like you name it. Um, And so that's when we kind of had to, and this is another hard part that we had to do, uh, which was we kind of realized that business wouldn't work. Um, And so we had to down, you know, we ended up having to let a bunch of the folks on the team go, um, move it down to just founders at that point um, and start to figure out what is going to be the next step for this business um, and what business do we want to be in. So so, how many were you before you you downsized? Um, so we were around like um, we're basically like around six to eight, if I remember correctly, plus um, plus around like three to four contractors at a time. So we're around like ten. Um, so it wasn't huge., um, but at that point we had you know raised funding, like um, you know, pitched this vision to all these different folks, like really, really liked everyone. Everyone was awesome. Um and it was is incredibly difficult to um kind of turn that around, but but it was I think it was something we knew that we needed to do. Um, because it's really hard figuring out, you know, what the next thing is when you have folks that aren't necessarily founders. Um you know, they came there for X reason and they might not want to be there um, for, you know, for something totally, totally different. Um, and it, it was, you know, it's, it's hard to go in discovery mode, um, when you have folks that are kind of waiting or kind of, um, being like, all right, what should I be doing next? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's definitely a difference between kind of like folks that are you know working with you and folks that are founders and kind of ready to be figuring out like, okay, it could be any business. Um, let's go figure out what it is. Yeah. So you figured the best way to, to get to
0: the next step is to let everyone go for us. Take some time. How much time did you take?
1: Um, so we, we had around like, a, a, it definitely was months. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so, you know, we, we, we were, we are trying all these different ideas. Um, and, you know, part of it was like, okay, now it's just founders. The other thing was like, all right, let's minimize our burn as much as possible. um, so that you know we could, we could try out different things, figure out what the next path to the business was. Um, and you know this was definitely one of the hardest parts uh, is when you have a business, but you don't know what business you're in at a certain point. Um, and so yeah, that was a very, very difficult time because now you're kind of like running around like a chicken with its head cut off and figuring out um, you know how do I even go about identifying like what is this problem what is this product is it something that you can't like go to sleep at and not yeah. think
0: about had you accepted any funding up till then
1: like yeah so we, i mean we had raised on this big vision of let's go compete with AWS and take over the future of computing <laughs> so <laughs> um so now imagine you know having to you know turn that around and be like all right we have a really smart team. You guys invest in the team. Um, we want to go figure out something else to do and and make it just as big.
0: Yeah. Why, why didn't you go back to
1: the data visualization idea? Um, I think at that part, at that point, um, that's a good question. I think at that point we were, I don't know if we were different we wanted to do something at that point. I think we had changed a little bit also in terms of the scope of what we wanted to do. Um, we kind of seen all these other businesses. We moved to San Francisco. We'd seen all these other folks that are super ambitious working on these like big vision um, products. And I think at that point we were like, okay, this, this data of his product is, is exciting. It's fun. It was the first thing that we came up with. We have, you know, we have customers for it, Um, but we want to do something, you know, that's kind of like going to affect, you know, millions of people or developers or end users. Like we're super interested in this idea of like enabling this, you know, super technical things that developers do every day. Um, giving that to end users or, you know, making that, um, you know, much more simpler to accomplish. So so we were kind of on. We were in this emotional state where we, I think, we were just ready for something different. We already had closure on the data viz stuff, um, and so we were trying to figure out, all right, what what could be um, as big of a vision as what we have here with this platform um, that we couldn't get out the door. But you know, what could be new and as big? Yeah.
0: So you are looking for a new big vision. What did What did you then see?
1: Um, so, so we ended up trying a bunch of different things and we ended up trying a bunch of different processes for finding a bunch of different things. Um, a lot of them, you know, in hindsight, I have a bunch of friends that are kind of going through this right now. Just like, how do I find my next startup? I think it's really, really, really hard. Um, and I don't, I, you know, we never figured out like an incredible process for it. Um, so, I mean, I could tell you about some of the ideas that we thought were really big that we ended up executing on, um, especially, you know, one, I think it was really interesting. Um, but, but basically what we realized was, you know, the only ones that, that we could really get off the ground and make work is, is kind of a mix of um, how do we get conviction that, you know, this is something that, that we think is exciting and that we want to, you know, work on. And at a certain point, once you go through all these ideas, it's hard to get conviction. Um, and so that I think at a certain point, you know, we just got lucky where we discovered, um, you know, BlockSpring, which was like already using like 80% of the code base that we built. Um, we felt the problem ourselves. Um, we definitely knew that there was this big trend around taking productivity tools and integrating them into all the other productivity tools that are being built. So this like exponential trend around more SaaS for everything. Um, and so I think we tapped into that. We ended up getting lucky and tapping into that trend, um, and having all of the stars align around like problem conviction, um, you know, potentially a big market. Now we just have to figure out like what the product is going to look like to make it happen. Um, but there are a bunch of other ideas along the way. Like we ended up making the AWS for food <laughs> in Chicago. We spent three to four, you know, actually three months spinning that up, building that. And, um, you know, I think that's actually going to be a really huge business. It just what it ended up not being for us. What
0: does that mean? Uh, AWS for food?
1: Um, so one day I was kind of like still, you know, I was freaking out, like, what are we going to do next? What's, what's like, what's our idea that we're are we focusing on? And I was like literally sitting in a Chipotle Um, I mean, this is just like stupid in hindsight, but I was sitting in Chipotle and I was like, wow, like I think um, there's going to be an endless number of businesses that are like this, which is just like um, these fast casual restaurants. Um, And there should be a platform to enable them to um, basically scale out across the country without having to build their own real estate. So my analogy was like, real estate and staff is kind of like computing. Um, and the code is actually like the recipe and the ingredients. Um, and so what we ended up doing was we went to a bunch of like breakfast restaurants in Chicago, convinced them to let us have their kitchens for dinner when they were closed for really cheap. Um, and then we went to a bunch of fast casual restaurants that are already really popular and convinced them to teach our staff how to make their food And then we lit them up in in like ghost kitchens all across the city on Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, every single delivery site so that these restaurants actually had full market penetration coverage. um, And they only paid by the hour. So they didn't have to have any staff, any anything. They just scaled up just based on their idea. Yeah.
0: So Uh, it was not restaurants where you could go eat, but it was only delivery.
1: Yep. Yeah. Only delivery. Um, And this now, this is... We had, we ended up this, this ended up actually making money for us. It just wasn't a good deal for, for the restaurants, and it wasn't sustainable for them um, at that point. At that point of scale, um, but we also had that crazy situation where like Uber Eats was coming over to the kitchens, Amazon was coming over, um, all these different delivery sites were like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and it turns out that I'm actually you know the model is actually something that I know. Um, with the ongoing trend of delivery, um, that growing exponentially, it's something that is already happening. Um, and I think will continue to happen. Like I know the co-founder of Uber actually just started doing this too, um, but he went at it a little bit different way. Um, so, so yeah, it's, for, for that, we kind of found ourselves like at a certain point building software, sitting at kitchens like really late at night being like, are we the only ones working on this idea? And are we, like, we lost conviction. We were like, we're probably crazy here. And we're the only people working on this, like ghost kitchens platform idea. Is this actually the future? Um, or are we going to be sitting in like kitchens the rest of our lives? Just, you know, yeah, kind of just like running up an uphill battle. Um, and so that I think was a place of just like, we found a really big vision found a product that i think could have actually made it happen um but i don't think it was the right fit for us and that said
0: yeah yeah it sounds like a really interesting idea it's uh it feels a bit like um you know there's these businesses that that are built on top of airbnb,
1: yep.
0: airbnb is such a huge platform and Basically, it used to be like you were sleeping in somebody else's place, but then people started buying places just for Airbnb. It feels a bit like that in the sense that you have services like Uber Eats or Deliveroo or whatever they have where you are. Um, And you can basically, there's a platform with customers and you can easily and cheaply um, bring like...
1: yeah. Like new supply. Yeah, you know I mean, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I think it's, it's totally true. It's like when there's mobile, you ended up having mobile first apps. Um, when there's Airbnb, you might have Airbnb first re- like real estate companies and property managers. Right. it's um, interesting with the delivery is that, um, it's when you go into a restaurant and you look at, you know, you see, you end up seeing a ton of delivery, like bikers or drivers just waiting in line kind of like, crowding up the space and their kitchens are kind of getting overflowed with like, do we, you know, it's just a fundamental design thing. It's like, should we build a restaurant for our customers or as like a manufacturing plant that also applies to delivery? And it turns out that most restaurants are not designed for delivery. And so most of them are actually launching their own like separate kitchens that just do delivery anyway, um, outside of their actual restaurants. And the issue is like, that's just like a huge slot for them. Um, and so when we came out with this model, like everyone was just it was just like an immediate yes from restaurant owners, which I was just super surprised by because I knew nothing about food, nothing about restaurants. Like we you know hired a, a manager that was really, really good um, that that helped us start you know getting this out the door. but every restaurant owner was like, yes, I want to go do this. Um, and so it's it just like it was clearly that the, it was clear that there was demand there. Um, I think the person that will actually make this work is someone that could raise a ton of money to buy the real estate, um, and make it an even better deal, um, or someone that controls all of the demand. So like Uber Eats and Deliveroo, they're already kind of doing this. Um, they know what people want to buy and they're feeding insights back to various restaurants to like start spinning out food. um, and then like folks like Deliveroo are actually already launching kitchens and real estate for rental to to do this now. So, so I think that's where the market is going to go, but it is, um, it was one of those things where we started from first principles, saw something that I think was really big. Um, but it just turned out not to be for us.
0: Yeah. Well, why do you think it was not for you? For-
1: um, I think it was a mix of, we ended up going down partially the wrong path, which was to be this middleman, um, between, um, delivery company and the restaurant when in reality we should have become either a smarter, like proper, like realist, we should have become the smarter real estate. Um, and then, uh, and we never tried that. And I think at a certain point we were like, are we just crazy here? And we kind of lost conviction. Um, cause you know, it's just so different than everything we've ever tried. We're still in this mode of just like, all right, we got to find the right idea um and so we might have we might have killed that too early but um i think it, it wasn't necessarily for us cuz we you know we honestly thought it was so wacky that we were we were probably just like barking up the wrong tree
0: yeah did you feel comfortable in the in the restaurant business
1: um not in the restaurant business but definitely in operations um like i'd never really done stuff like that before but it was actually super fun. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there was just certain parts of it, just like building software for real life scenarios, like to improve workflows, um, having a business that you could easily tell everyone about. And they, you know, all of your friends just might end up using it. Um, like having something where it's was just like, this is a day to day, it passes a toothbrush test day to day use case. And it's just, you're doing this business that's been around for you know hundreds and hundreds. And I mean so long, but you figured out a totally new way of doing it. And the why now makes sense. Like the exponential trend makes sense. Like everything aligns. So that part all like combined to be like super exciting. Um, The, the sitting in a restaurant, like um, you know, watching delivery orders come through um, dealing with, you know, people stealing stuff that you just hired, like dealing with um, the like date, like the people relationships, um, especially at that, um, income level and how quickly we were hiring. That's a crazy world. Uh, that's very different than SaaS, Um, and it comes with its own set of problems that you have to get really good at to the point where you're just like, you're thinking in the clouds for how big this thing is, but to the day on a day to day, um, you're dealing with these issues that you're just like, how will this ever have an impact? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know?
0: Uh, are there any other ideas you worked on during that time
1: like Um, there were there were a few uh, there was a there's a few that were that were super exciting but um i think i think what was most what was most critical was we ended up going back um thinking about like we so we ended up going back and i started doing some queries on our uh, you know some of our old products and I basically just found this like very simple product problem, which was like, I'm trying to do like some data analysis in Google Sheets, all of my data is in, in a database or in some API. And I basically had to just start writing scripts to, to integrate that information. Um, and that brought me back to like, my first job was in consulting. And I remember this idea that, um, you know, like, I would spend a lot of time, like, i I I was an engineer and I'd, you know, gone to school, like learned how to program, but I started in consulting. Um, and I'd spent a lot of my time in Excel. And I realized that just like everyone that I knew that were, were doing things in Excel, they were actually just programming with APIs. Um, like equals sum function is you're putting in a few numbers as an input and you get something as an output. And a lot of folks, especially when they are in consulting, they spend a lot of time going to different websites, apps, collecting data, bringing it all into the same place. Um, and a lot of those services that were getting that data were starting to have APIs. Um, and so this big vision that I started to realize was, why am I spending all this time copy and pasting stuff from one place to another, keeping it in sync, When in reality, all these things are going to have APIs. There's going to be way more and more SaaS tools. They should somehow be synced together and connected. Um, And the big vision is like end user computing. Like folks in business are getting to a point where they're understanding how to, you know, use APIs, how to bring data from one place to another. Um, And there should be an easy way to do that. We kind of looked around at what products existed and there was like, if this and that, Zapier, they were all kind of like, event-based moving small pieces of data back and forth. Um, and they didn't get the job done, which was basically, um, you know, for instance, like, how do I go into a Google sheet, pull in a Google analytics report, keep it up to date, then, you know, Run some like computer vision algorithm or like, you know, not for that use case, but run some like NLP algorithm to um, through some other API and then throw my data through that um, and eventually kind of like just use APIs or program in a way that a developer might as they write a script. Uh, and so, and so that was just like a, it was actually a weekend hack of just like building this Google Sheets plugin that actually integrated into this like serverless platform that we had built um and called all of these different apis that people had worked with and then i showed it to my co-founders and i was like this is actually really crazy and we all kind of agreed Um, and you know the problem kind of makes sense um the the vision was kind of there um the real thing was just like how do we make this a product that we could start having people use um and the open question was what are all the core use cases that people would actually use this for. And that's something we ended up working through and you know, kind of figuring out um, until we got to something that you know, was here are the three use cases, here's how we make money. And that's when it really started to grow.
0: Yeah. How, how, did, it, how did that go for you guys? And, and, and you know, like, like from there to, to how many employees did you, did you in the end also scale?
1: Um, yeah, so so what ended up happening was we launched um, launched the product, didn't have a good sense of the use cases, and we kind of just, like, it, it took a while, but we started just, li- like, getting out the door, um, getting folks in, listening to what they were trying to accomplish, um, and then starting to figure out what this platform would be about. Um, So, so I don't know if that's like the best model for, for new platforms. Um, but it's what we ended up taking. And so, you know, we early adopters would come in, they'd be, you know, doing something with growth, like, Hey, I want to pull in, you know, a list of our users from Salesforce. And then I want to send them all postcards from lob and then I want to, you know, here's my like random project. And then all of a sudden there was a totally different project, which was like, um, hey, I'm uh, you know a digital marketer and I'm trying to keep this report up to date in Google Sheets or Tableau. How do I, you know, how do I make this, this work with your product? I need, you guys don't have Facebook ads. Can you add that? You don't have this. Can you add that? And so we kind of realized that the key to this platform that we figured out was that um, we had built the serverless thing in such a way where we could just write a quick script, click publish. And all of a sudden we had a new integration set up in all of our products. And um, and so we could just move very, very fast in making sure that this next use case that someone had could get accomplished. Um, and that's where we started bringing people in the door to like help us build those integrations, um, help kind of you know get fill out the platform so that we can accomplish some of these use cases, um, and and get to a, a, a place where we knew that automating reporting was a thing. And now there are a bunch of startups that focus on that segment, Uh, lead enrichment, um, where it's, you know, pulling from a bunch of different APIs. Um, there isn't really a good startup that does that, but people currently go to endless number of services for lead enrichment, um, individually and try and figure out which one's better. So we kind of aggregated all those APIs. Um, and there's a few, few more use cases, but those are kind of the really big two, um, so we really had to like a lot of people, a lot of our users had to really schlep to do this kind of stuff on their own and figure out what's possible. And that helped us get to a point where we're like, here are the two, three main things that we should expose kind of like onboard onto and turn into real products. Um, you know, it, it it's, you know, it started to grow. It, it grew into, you know, a good business, profitable business. Um, at a certain point um, we were, and we were kind of at the stage um, and this is like late last year where we're like, all right, this is, this is a growing business, but we started out, you know, with this vision of like, let's go like stomp on AWS and create a multi-billion dollar business. You know what I mean? Um, And so we were just like, and and this is kind of like what, what ended up, um, you know, starting a bunch of the conversations around like where could this product land Um, you know, in terms of like acquisitions, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it turned out there were a bunch of companies that, um, that actually had a need for accelerating their API roadmap, API platform, all this kind of stuff that related directly to all the things that we had built with Blockspring and the product. Um, and so that's when we started having some of these conversations and, um, you know, it it turns out things went full circle. Like the, the guy that launched AWS Lambda, um, in 2014, VP of engineering at Coinbase, um, you know, we had known the person we had known. You know, biology Srinivasan now CTO at at Coinbase. Um, they you know, they have a bunch of different founders. Their culture is really awesome. There's there was a really really good fit um, for us there, and so that's where uh, that's where this kind of like that's where blocks ended up.
0: Yeah, just to give me an idea, uh, what what is Coinbase uh, planning to do with what you guys built?
1: Um, so n- not a lot of that is, is, is public yet, but, um, we're, we're there to work on APIs and platform, um, internal and external. And so there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff that, um, th- that's come, that's coming out the door. Um, but yeah, we're, we're super pumped. I think basically, um, the stage of, I guess my, my personal belief is that if you go back to like. Facebook in 2007, um, they had, you know, tens of millions of users. Social was this brand new thing where like they themselves didn't even know what would become important after the feed. Like, you know, what are people going to want? How are people going to want to interact? And they used platform to help discover all the next killer apps. Like if you're around like building stuff in college in 2007, as soon as Facebook launched, you probably spent four to five nights, trying to build like a hundred different things that would take advantage of their social network and find new users and build, you know, create a big product. Um, so I think that is actually where a lot of this, you know, a lot of crypto is at today where there are a few killer apps like Coinbase right now, and that's, you know, around speculation. Um, but there's potentially like a fairly big platform opportunity um, to help kind of like, Usher into the next wave of of like massive growth. Developers are into it. Users are into it. Um, I think I think there's a big opportunity there. So so we're super excited about that. And um, you know, it's a lot of these new paradigms like get they're they're kind of like next like killer apps get discovered by developers and and third parties and through platform. And so um, yeah, we're 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 definitely uh, excited about the potential there. Cool.
0: What what is it that you you like what keeps you up at night lately? Let's
1: see. Um what keeps me up at night lately? Um well it's I think it's very different now versus like the past 4 years. <laughs> <laughs> like the past 4 years it's been literally you know rethinking every single decision of just like are we doing the right thing? Is this the best thing we could be doing? Um, is this the biggest thing that we could do, be doing? You know, like we st- we we're young, we want to have the biggest impact on the world. Are we wasting our time? Um, is this the right business that we're in? Like all this kind of stuff, we're all circulating. Um, and like the real key was like how to boil all that, that down and focus on like, what's the next one thing that I need to do to put us in a position to succeed? Um, and usually the answer was just like, all right, what do users want? How do we grow? Um, now I think things are very, very different um, because this, like I'm part of this like big machine that's moving forward with its own inertia um, versus when you're a startup founder, you are that inertia. You know what I mean? Like if, if you, if you stop the, basically the machine stops. Uh, so those are, those are kind of like, it's, it's a totally different world for me now. And I think it's, it's been really great to start like learning meet, like meeting a bunch of super smart people, like being in San Francisco the second time around is like, 180 change than being here as like a founder like freaking out and like trying to figure out how to like do my job well um so so we're now i think it's definitely a more relaxed learning period meeting great people um working on big things and um and you know and getting excited about it and then kind of like enjoying this part
0: cool Slowly wrapping up. Um, yeah. what's the latest good book you've read, and why did you choose to read it?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the latest good book. Okay, so um, this was of this is a recommendation from one of my friends. Um, let me just let me just try to remember what the name was. Um, oops, sorry. One sec. So it's a book around game design. Um, and it's called reality is broken. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so basically the, the, kind of like the punchline is like, um, like the the big question was why are people spending so much of their life in games? And how can we use that power to like, how, how can we use what we learn about game design to help have an impact on the world? Um, And this was during like the reason I read it was because I actually like strongly believe that um, just like the main components of what goes into a game um, are just like they've kind of evolved and been discovered and they're applicable to like everything. So if you're, you know, if you're building a dating app and it's not in some way using game design, um, you know, you're going to fail and the ones that do use it end up building Tinder you know what I mean? Like everything I think is becoming more of a game and I think all games are actually becoming more of, you know, traditional software products and social networks and communication products and all that kind of stuff. Like all of that is converging. And so for me, the reason I read it was just trying to, um, under like I've played games through all, all my life, but trying to understand more of the science behind it and what that says about ourselves and how does that help improve like how I would build products. Um, and it was actually an incredible book. I highly recommend it to everyone.
0: Yeah. What was, what was like the, the, the craziest thing you've read in there?
1: Um, so I ended up taking a ton of notes on this one, but what was the craziest thing? Um, I think the craziest thing that I, that I realized was that, um, this is a good question. The craziest thing that I realized was was just this concept of like um, every time we play, like basically there's this feedback loop where game designers are trying to build games that help you play more, um, get more value out of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the rules that happen in these worlds in these games are actually a big reflection of like people. And so um, like and what motivates people and what gets them to do stuff and what gets them to, you know, go to their, go to their job, but then still want to come home and spend all, you know, all this kind of time playing, playing games. Um, and so I guess one of the craziest insights in this is that, um, is that the reason that the, the book is called reality is broken is because like how we've designed games is actually better than the experience that we get at work and in our day to day in reality. So in reality, you go to your job, like a lot of things are unknown. You get no feedback. You don't know if you're winning or losing, like you're, you know, you're just, you're moving along, um, and, and hoping you're, you know, progressing in some way. But in games, you know, there's clear rules, there's clear feedback loop, you know, if you've won or lost, there's all these things that are just like that we, that we want to have in our lives. Um, and so that's why people play games is because they get the stuff in games that they don't get in real life. Um, and so the things that we discover, I think in games are actually not just about, you know, how do you get, you know, people who play super smash brothers more, it's actually discovering things about human nature and like our emotions and the things we want out of life. And I think that's why a lot of these worlds are converging. Um, because as like you could only build like one society right in the US, but you could build like tons of societies and games, change the rules, all that kind of stuff. So it's just like this Cambrian explosion of like, how do we operate societies? What do we learn about them? And I think using that into into like other apps, other products, day to day life is is a really big thing. Right, cool. Yeah.
0: Final question. Uh, What's the best piece of business advice you ever got?
1: um best piece of business advice um so i think it's a mix of two um one is just the same thing that yc says is like build for yourself build something people want go talk to users like that whole loop um is true. (laughs) And I've like failed at multiple angles of that at different times. Um, but if you stick to that, you know, you'll end up building something that, that could work in some way or makes money or creates a good lifestyle for you. Um, the the other, the hindsight, the reverse of that, um, is basically once you run out of, once you run out of ideas or, um, maybe not run out of ideas, once you, um, you know, once you think it's, time for you to kind of like reset, um, or try and work on something bigger and you don't necessarily know what that is yet, um, then go reset and don't feel like that you've kind of like, you know, failed or anything like that. Um, basically people just are in different phases of their lives at different times. Um, and so I think the, the big advice is if you, if you know what you want to work on, um, go work on it. If you don't, go figure things out and go learn and go identify other problems through the course of living, talking to people, all that kind of stuff. If you're in this third pool of just like, you want to go do a startup and you're trying to like figure out a problem. um, That's a really hard world to operate in. And that's definitely um, something that I wouldn't want to go do again. (laughs) All right. Thanks
0: again, Paul, for being on Founder
1: Coffee.
0: Uh, It was really great to
1: have you. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.